great to be with you today, church. I'm so glad that we get to join together and be the body of Christ, and uh, we're doing it this way now. So thanks for joining in and being part of Centerpoint Church online, at home, or wherever you are. I can imagine somebody right now, you're kicking back in your family room. Somebody else, you're in your car, and someone else, you're up in the bedroom. So that's awesome. I'm glad that we're doing church together, and we are the body of Christ. And if you're new with us, my name's John. I'm lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. I'm glad to welcome you. And I hope you will get connected with us. And I hope you will text that word, first step, uh, to 951-397-2254, because we'd love to be a part of this spiritual journey together uh, with you. And so I wanted to just share a couple of things today. And what I want to do in this message is first I want to share a bit of an update in terms of our ministry. And then I want to bring a teaching that I think will help you, help you to recapture a sense of peace in your connection in community with people. And so first let me just share a bit of an update. I'll, I'll start like this. I, I saw a, a study this week that was kind of interesting. There was this uh, doctor, this researcher named Carl Richter, and he, wa- he wanted to see how long a bunch of rats could survive if he plopped them into a bucket of water with uh, high walls on it. And so he took rats and threw them in a bucket of water, and they couldn't get up the high walls, and so they survived for just 15 minutes. I know, it's a sad story. <laughs> but anyway, that's what he discovered, is they could last 15 minutes in that bucket of water. Uh, but he wanted to see if there was any way to extend it. And so what he did next was uh, he, he pulled them out right at the 15-minute mark, right when he knew that was about when they would, would uh, give up. And he pulled them out, dried them off, let them rest for one minute, and then threw them back in the bucket. I know, it's kind of sadistic. This was, <laughs> this was his research. And, and what he found was that as long as they got pulled out of the water every 15 minutes, they were able to survive for 60 hours. 60 hours, that's like 240 times as long as the first go around. And and what was happening is that these rats were basically uh, discovering hope. I mean, they were experiencing being rescued. They were experiencing what it was like to get saved and and, and to be lifted out of their trouble and their problems. And, And that allowed them to continue to survive. And you know, when I saw that this past week, it made me think about the reality that uh, it felt like in March that in, in a way, uh, we all got kind of tossed into the bucket. You know what I mean? It felt like we got tossed into the bucket and we're just wondering how long we could take it. And then June came along and it felt like we got pulled out and dried off. And, <laughs> and then July hits and there we are in the bucket again. I mean, that's what it kind of has felt like. And, but here's what I'm discovering. I'm discovering that this time around, I feel a a stronger sense of hope than I did the first time around. I I feel a sense of hope, and it's because of the fact that I know what it feels like to be sustained and rescued and carried along by the power of my God and his good love and strength and power in my life. And all of us together, what is happening is we are collectively developing a sense of what it means to be saved and rescued by our God. And we're developing a history of redemption and rescue. 
And it's carrying us. It's got a carrying power for us. And if this is new for you, even just logging on and being a part of a church service, even if it's online, I want to declare this to you. There's hope for you. And that hope comes in the love and power of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he's the one who reaches into the bucket of the mess of our lives and lifts us out of the stew of sin and shame and guilt and darkness and hopelessness and lifts us out of it with his love and his mercy. And so if this is you, if this is new for you to just be a part of church, Hear me loud and clear on this. Jesus is the one who is able to rescue you. And, and if you would turn to Jesus today, even if there's a whole lot of things you still need to learn, a bunch of questions you might still have, if you would turn to Jesus today, what you're going to discover is that he's willing to rescue you and lift you out of the mess and crown you with his mercy and salvation and hope. So maybe right now, maybe right in this moment, it's time to say yes to Jesus. Right now in this moment, maybe in this moment you, you suddenly find yourself coming alive inside in your heart. It's God's spirit waking you up to the fact that you need him. And maybe the best thing you could do is in this very moment, right now, say yes to Jesus. And, and if I were with you in a room, I would ask you, if you're ready to say yes to Jesus, would you just raise your hand right now? And we're not in a room together, but would you, in a sense, raise a hand right now? You can even click the raise a hand button, or you can type into the comments, I'm raising my hand, because I need Jesus. And right now, would you just simply let it be known, I'm giving my life to Jesus. I'm making that commitment to Jesus. What it's about is turning from your sin and turning from the darkness and emptiness and lostness and shame and guilt and turning to the one who gives life and salvation and his name is Jesus. And maybe right here and right now, that awakening is happening inside of you. It's because God is showing you his love and he's drawing you to himself. So right now, would you pray with me? If that's you and you're saying yes to Jesus for the first time, I want you to pray with me and you can say this out loud and just begin praying and say something like this. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I put my trust in you. It all starts right there. Just say it to him. Jesus, I put my trust in you. And Jesus, I give you my life. I turn from my sin. I turn to you, Jesus. I believe you gave your life for me and your death on the cross. And just say it. Jesus, I believe you're alive. I mean, everybody, just say it together. Say, Jesus, I believe you're alive. Say it again. Jesus, I believe you're alive. And even when I just say that out loud, I feel hope beginning to rise all the more inside of me. And if that is the first time you've said yes to Jesus, or maybe you're finally coming back and recommitting your life to him, let us know, because we want to help you grow in this faith from this moment on. Hope is available on full measure, and it's available through Jesus in this moment, here and now. Okay, so I want to share a bit of an update with you. So an update regarding Centerpoint Ministries, because here we are in another one of those moments where we're trying to figure things out and making decisions and doing things differently again. And, and I want to just acknowledge that, and I'll share a brief communication with you. I want to share what I know, what I don't know, what we're doing, and what we're not doing. And so here's what I know. What I know is that we are going to keep on living out our mission, even if our methods are changing. <laughs> our mission is loving and leading people to a life-changing connection with Christ. And that's not going to stop. Our method might change, and instead of doing it in the room or on the patio or on a trailer or wherever else, we're doing it online right now. Our mission, we're going to love and lead people to life-changing connection with Christ. And you know what else I know? What I know is that you are a faithful church body that you're rolling with the punches right along with me and the rest of our pastoral team and our staff. You're a faithful church body who keeps on saying, all right, Jesus, 
You're my Lord, and you're leading me, even through these weird times. And you are a faithful church. You keep serving in the ways that you can. You keep showing up when we're doing a, a foster emergency replacement drive or whatever else we're doing in the community. You're a faithful church. That's what I know. And, and here's what I don't know. I don't know how long this pause on the comeback is going to last. I just don't. I don't know. I'm not making any pronouncements about that. I don't know how long it's going to last. We're going to keep watching and keep, most importantly, listening for the direction that God has for us. But what are we doing in the meanwhile? Here's what we're doing. We are reaching as many people as possible for salvation, discipleship, and the supernatural lifestyle and connecting them into the life of Centerpoint Church so that all will be filled with hope and changed by God and strengthened in community and empowered by the Holy Spirit and commissioned to live the kingdom life that'll change the world. That's what we're doing. We're doing that. We're reaching as many people as possible for salvation. Salvation, because we know that hell is real and life in hopeless despair is real and life without God is real and we're not leaving people that way. We're reaching as many people as possible for salvation, to know the, the gift of the mercy of God in Jesus and we're reaching as many people as possible for, for discipleship because it's not just about getting a ticket to go to heaven one day, it's about living here and now with a life that's being transformed and raised up and made different where we're learning and growing deeper and getting roots that are going down and down. So we're reaching as many people as possible for salvation, for discipleship, and for the supernatural lifestyle. We believe that you read the Bible and you find the Spirit of God just moving, 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 doing amazing things. People are being healed. Prophecies are given. Miracles are unfolding. Walls come crashing down. Dead are raised. <laughs> this is what we're made for. And, and we don't want to just be a song and lecture club. I mean, we want to be the body of Christ and, and, and the supernatural reality of what Jesus demonstrated is what we want to follow him into. And so we're reaching as many people as possible for salvation, discipleship, and the supernatural lifestyle. And we're doing that and involving people, engaging people in the life of the body of Christ at Centerpoint so that all will be filled with hope. Because you and I all know, we both know what a difference is made when, for example, a father who was wallowing in despair and depression gets that, that jolt of joy from the Holy Spirit and the difference that it makes in a whole family when a dad gets raised up out of that brokenness. We all know what it's like when a mom who is suffering under an addiction gets set free from that and rises up in newfound freedom in life and, and that changes a person. That hope changes a whole family, maybe even generations. And so we are reaching as many people as possible with salvation, discipleship, the supernatural lifestyle, so that all will be filled with hope, changed by God. This is what we're after. And I'm asking you to just stay on that mission with me. Keep embracing that vision with me. Let's keep being that church together. So what if we're doing it a little bit differently this week than we did last week? So what if we're doing it a little bit differently now than we might in a month from now? We're staying on it because Jesus is the Lord of it. Are you with me? Come on right now, type amen into the comments or if you have some friends with you, just shout amen. Look at each other and acknowledge, okay, it's awkward. We're sitting in our house shouting amen. 
amen, but come on, this is, this is life in the, in the kingdom of God in 2020. We just do whatever we can to stay real in the presence of God wherever we are. That's what we're about in this moment. Okay, so that's what we're doing. But here's what we're not doing. We are not ignoring the danger of the coronavirus and needlessly jeopardizing anybody's physical health. We're just not doing that. I'm not doing that. And that's partly why we've, uh, we've shifted and, and come back to online because you know, there, there is a deadly disease. There's no need to be jeopardizing anybody's physical health. And I'm not led by the Lord to do that. And so we're not doing that. We're also not ignoring the racial tensions that have been going on in the world around us. So we're having the conversations. We're leaning in to denounce racism and, and call it the evil that it is and say, that's not what we're about. We'll never be about that. We reject it. I mean, th th this is what we're not doing. We, we, are, we are not giving up on being the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the family of God, the church that follows Jesus Christ. We're not giving up. And we're not gonna let division destroy us. We're not gonna let division destroy us. And this is the message that I wanna share with you today. We are not, and I mean we, meaning me, you, and all of us that call Center Point our church, we are not gonna let division destroy us. Can you feel it? Have you felt it? Have you felt it like that thing in the air? And we already know from what we've covered in this series, that thing in the air is the God of this age trying to get his snarl on against us. And that snarl is a snarl of division right now. And we felt it, haven't we? We felt it, we felt like this sense of outrage against people that were called to love rising up inside of us. And I'm not gonna stand for it. I'm not gonna stand for it inside of myself and I'm asking you not to stand for it inside of our church and let's, let's be the resistance. So we've been doing this series called The Resistance and what I've wanted to do is, is share as much as I can with you about the reality of spiritual warfare, about the reality of the spiritual realm. And we've covered a lot of ground in this series from uh, Pastor Aaron's message in the Garden of Eden uh, through to Pastor James' message in the desert wilderness where Jesus was tempted through to uh, every other teaching. But the essence of it, it has been for you and I to recognize that there really is a spiritual warfare, there really is spiritual battle, and there really is an opportunity to bring about spiritual victory. And really what we've talked about is the fact that through the cross of Jesus Christ, there's a victory that's already been won. And what we get to do is manifest the victory of the cross of Jesus Christ and his life and shed blood into whatever circumstance that we're facing. That's what you and I are learning to do in this series, to resist the devil. And I'm praying and hoping that we will. Pastor Donovan shared an amazing message about the armor of God. And the armor of God is given to soldiers. What soldier ever fought alone? We fight together. We are called to be those who would fight the spiritual opposition, the devil, and we do that together. But can you imagine if a group of soldiers just started, instead of fighting the enemy, fighting each other? Can you imagine how quickly they'd go down? And that's kind of the type of thing that I, 
feel like I've seen begin to happen in these last couple of months because there's been so many things to be, get, uh, be getting upset about and offended about and disagreeing about. And we need to confront that reality today. If, all, if I taught as much as I could and had our pastoral team teach as much as we could about how to resist the devil, but you and I still stood in our arrogant, self-righteous pride and ripped each other apart, did we really achieve spiritual victory? Did we really resist the devil? I hope that you and I would feel some conviction of the Holy Spirit to come back to being in the spirit, not in the flesh, so that we can effectively resist the devil. But part of doing that means we've got to, as the resistance, guard against division in the body of Christ and guard against division in our particular church body that we're a part of. And that isn't a, yeah, she needs to do that, or, oh yeah, him, that's, he, he needs, no, that's right here, me and you. It's inside of us, the choice that we make to say, I'm gonna do what I can to guard the unity of the body of Christ. Uh, this is crucial. It's something that we've, we've got to do, and we've got to contend for it. The unity of the body matters. There's something like 64 different verses in the Bible that uh, call us to unity and embracing the unity of the body. And there, there's such a clarity in the scripture about it. We can't miss it. But let me just draw your attention just to one verse, Ephesians 4. It says this. It says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there's one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. I want you to just get that message in you. I know I've probably shared it before in the last couple of months, but we need it on our hearts. Just look at verse three one more time, and I want you to say it out loud. Just fill your room or your car, or wherever you are right now, with these words of scripture. Ready, go. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. God is speaking through his word saying the unity of the body is not gonna come about by autopilot. You gotta decide it matters, and you gotta be willing to contend for it. Can you hear that this is the word from the Holy Spirit? Can you not let yourself off the hook on this one? I know we're, we're always wanting to tend when we hear a Bible verse to say, oh yeah, so-and-so really needs to hear this. I really need to hear this. You really need to hear this. And we need to be the ones making every effort. So what are the efforts you could be making? Maybe right now you begin to pray, Holy Spirit, what effort could I be making to defend and protect and guard the unity of the body that you have, you have called me to give this effort to? Right, here's another one. Uh, 1 Peter 3.8, it says, Finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be ten tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude, unless they disagree with you about masks. Oh, wait, that's not in there, is it? Oh, right, so, so the scripture is still the scripture, is it not? Is this verse inspired by the Holy Spirit as the word of God for you? then let it sink in. Let me just call you to the first part of that verse again and say this one out loud with me. Verse eight, ready, go. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Say it again, nice and strong, say it. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. That's a pretty thought, isn't it? Can you imagine how nice that would be, just all of us being of one mind? <laughs> That's a beautiful poetic, poetic thought, but man, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard stuff. 
It's difficult, it's difficult. I remember when I was early on in my journey of being the pastor of our church, I, uh, we decided we're gonna do this thing called a trunk or treat. Remember back in the day and you know, set up the trunks in the parking lot and, and uh, you know, put out you know, candy and, and pumpkins and all that stuff. And we made the announcement in church and I think I made the announcement, hey everybody, we're gonna be doing a trunk or treat and here's what it's gonna look like. And what I was not ready for was what came next. I remember coming out between services onto the patio and, and, I, and I, I saw two people leaning up against each other red in the face, shouting each other down between church services. And they were shouting about the trunk or treat. And one of them was saying, you know, you're practicing Satanism by calling everybody to celebrate Halloween. And the other person was saying, it has nothing to do with that, it's just a holiday. And they were arguing and yelling at each other between service and I had to step in and break up an argument on the church patio about trunk or treat. All of you should be of one mind. <laughs> it's easier said than done, isn't it? You know what's funny is right now, I'd give anything to have a simple, silly argument about whether we should celebrate Halloween or not. Like that, those were the good old days, you know? When we could have a silly argument about whether we should celebrate Halloween. I, I miss those days, because man, you're feeling what I'm feeling, aren't you? That, that, the, the situation in the society at large has gotten to a fever pitch of outrage and anger, and I hope that you have seen what we've been trying to convey in this series, that it's not something innocent, that there is a, a spiritual force of evil that's at work instigating some of those things and some of our reactions to these things. And I hope that uh, we, we'd recognize the danger. So, so here's, here's what I'm, I'm seeing. I'm seeing that we are losing our capacity to have meaningful interaction with each other in the public sphere. And what I'm also seeing is that even in the body of Christ, we're losing that ability. And we're, we're disintegrating. And I wanna just share with you some insight. This, uh, I believe, comes from Pastor Denny Wayman. Uh, I heard it from Pastor Glenn Pryor. He heard it from Pastor Denny Wayman, and we'll just say it's from Denny. <laughs> but, this teaching, this idea is that there's a disintegration of disagreement that takes place, that there's three basic levels to it. So level one is you have a disagreement, uh, but you have enough strands of relational connection, so you're able to kind of work through it and listen to each other and hear each other out, and even if you agree to disagree, you make your way through that disagreement and reach a resolve. That level is what we're all kind of striving for. We're not striving for uniformity. We know we need to be able to have freedom to think differently about things, but resolve is the goal. But the second level is this. Uh, you have a disagreement, but there's not quite enough strands of relational connection, and so things begin to fall apart. And what you revert to in order to make it through that is process. And process might include a therapist, it might include a counselor, it might include uh, a, a, a HR department at, at work, or the principal of the school, or the guidance counselor, or maybe even a judge. Uh, but the, the process is the only thing that gets you through this disagreement and allows you to reach some point of resolve. Uh, and that's definitely a bit of disintegration. At least there's resolve, but you couldn't have done it without process because there's just not enough strands of relational connection. But then there's level three. And level three happens when there's a disagreement and there's not even much process or the process just doesn't even work. 
and then there's a full-on meltdown, and, 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 and what happens is that it, we drop to the level of character. Character assault. Character assassination. It's no longer even about the issue. It's just about the character of the person. She's just a liar. He's just too weak. He's just uh, unwise. He's just foolish. They just don't know what they're doing. They're inept. They're just wicked. I mean, we, we, we revert to that. And once we've gone there, the disagreement fully disintegrates and there is no connection anymore. Isn't this what we're experiencing? I mean, this is what we're seeing unfold every time we jump on social media. This is what happens uh, at family gatherings, socially distanced, of course. But I mean, we see this disintegration taking place, disintegration of disagreement. And, and it's happening in the body of Christ. It hurts my heart to see it happening among some of us, even that call Centerpoint home. And I wanna call us back from that and call us to something better and call us to live a little bit differently. And so I wanna ask you to take a moment and turn to the scriptures in Romans chapter 14. And Romans chapter 14 is important for this time. Uh, it's God's word, always valuable, but incredibly important right now. And this is what we read in Romans chapter 14, uh, just jumping in right away. It says this, accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day, do it to honor him. And those who eat any kind of food, do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. If we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord, both of the living and of the dead. Okay, so in Rome, you know, kind of big picture, what's happening is you got believers who uh, want to eat meat, have a nice barbecue. The deal is in Rome, most of the butchers would, as a kind of a matter of practice, would get, either get their meat uh, in a way that it had already been sacrificed in honor of Zeus or maybe Daphne or maybe Diana or in honor of a certain temple, and then they'd get that meat and then sell it at their butcher shop. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't probably full of some sort of terrible satanic ritual. It wasn't sacrificed in that way, but uh, it, it left people with a conundrum, like the believers. A, a lot of the believers were people who were Jewish of, uh, originally and had become followers of Jesus, and they were struggling big time about, man, we should not eat that stuff. And then a lot, of, a lot of these people were coming from uh, the, the Greco-Roman background, and they, they didn't stumble over it. They felt like, nah, it's nothing. It's just the superstition. It's not even a big deal. Uh, we believe in God, and so this is nothing. And what we would expect 
is that there would be a defining line in the sand, right? We would expect that it would be clear as day. That's wrong, that's right. They're the right ones and they're the wrong ones. But did you see that in Romans 14? Actually, you find God and his majesty in, in the mystery of the fullness of who he is, making room for both. And saying, look, you know, there, there's a way in which these ones are following their conviction and it's appropriate. And there's a way in which these ones are also following their conviction and it's appropriate. And, and instead of the easy way, which is just they're wrong and they're right, God says, I want you to follow me. I want you to learn to live differently and at the core it's about learning to live in such a way that you're honoring me. So I wanna share with you six principles for peace and unity. And I hope you'll write them down, I hope you'll put them into practice. But these are just observations right from Romans chapter 14. First of all, choose to accept others. Choose to accept, it's a choice. It's a choice. It's a far easier choice to just stand and look down on someone else and decide they're wrong, I'm right, that's it. But God's calling us to something higher. And it's a choice to accept. Romans 14, one, it says it like this, accept other believers who are weak in the faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. And by the way, weak in the faith happens on both sides. Like we could each look at each other and say, they're weak in the faith because they don't believe God could protect them. They're weak in the faith because they don't believe that it's right to honor God's word about honoring the ruling authorities. I mean, we could both point that gun at each other. Makes no sense. But to choose instead to accept each other. To say, God loves you and God loves me and we've got a different perspective, but you're my sister. You're my brother. And I choose to elevate my relationship with you as brother and sister over my judgment about this issue. Having a judgment about an issue is one thing. But having a judgment against a sister or a brother who God called you to love is another thing altogether. So choose to accept each other. And then number two, withhold contempt. You know that feeling you get inside like, I disagree with them and I look down on them and I'm upset with them and I condemn what they say. There's something in Romans 14 that calls you and I to do it a little differently. In Romans 14, three, it says, those who feel free to eat anything must not, must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Do you see how God is speaking to both sides and saying, I don't give either of you permission to condemn. You need to withhold the contempt. Contempt does nothing but damage. Contempt does nothing but express what the devil is feeling. You wanna be the resistance? Then withhold your contempt. It wasn't gonna do any good anyway. And then number three, leave judgment to God. Leave the judgment to God. I mean, that's what you read in Romans chapter 14, verse four, it said, who are you to judge someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. Do you see what it's saying here? That God is able to make both sides stand. Wow. In a moment like this, where some churches are saying, we're opening full tilt, and other churches are saying, we're going to online only, which is right. Could it be that God can make both stand? Wow. And for reasons that go beyond what we can understand? 
Like maybe he has a reason for why he wants one of them to follow this path and another to follow a different kind of a path. And maybe he's the one who is able to give that indication and make both stand. And instead of judging, maybe we say yes, God, to your mysterious majesty over all of this (laughs) and pray instead for God's glory to be revealed. Number four, uh, realize that God can make both groups stand. And number five, don't condemn another believer for honoring their convictions. I mean, what we're living through in this moment is a whole bunch of us as believers are experiencing convictions rising up in us. Some of us are feeling a conviction rising up in us to say, I got to fight for freedom. And that's a good and holy and right conviction. And others of us as believers are feeling a conviction rising up saying, I've got to lean into love which is calling me to protect the health of the vulnerable. Are both right or are both wrong? What if both have a way in which God is at work and we need to learn how to not condemn another believer for honoring their convictions? Romans 14, 10, it said, why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. God's the one and only one who gets to stand in, in that judgment seat. And finally, number six, let love be the goal. Let love be the goal. Let love be the goal. I mean, Jesus said in John 13, 35, he said, this is how the world's going to know that you're my disciples, how you love each other. Not how you proved to everyone how you were right and they were wrong, right? right? But how you love each other. So maybe this is the moment to lean into love and, and say, God, help me to find the pathway to love those who are operating with a different conviction right now. Because maybe that would bring more glory to God than shouting at them or typing angrily at them. (laughs) Let's let love be the goal. This is what I find Jesus to have said. In John 17, verse 22, Jesus said, he's praying. He says, I have, God, I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. Do you see what Jesus is praying for? He's praying for the unity among his people to be preserved, protected, guarded, and fully realized. I've given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one, even as we are one. I'm in them, and you are in me. And may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Unity is powerful, and it does make a beautiful statement to the world. I remember when I was a student at Rutgers University back in New Jersey, uh, a, a group of us as believers on that campus decided to start this thing called Jesus Awareness Week. We called it JAWS. I don't know. It seemed like a good idea at the time. So we had this thing called JAWS every year, Jesus Awareness Week. And I don't know what the S stood for. But anyway, JAWS. And, and what we did was, uh, and, and one year I was kind of in charge of it, and we, you know, we got the... The, uh, the Asian Christian groups, the Korean Christian groups, the Chinese Christian groups, the black Christian groups, the Latino Christian groups, the Indian Christian groups, the multi-ethnic Christian groups, the Anglo-white Christian groups, all of them. And we got them all together and we would march down the main street in College Avenue in New Brunswick, New Jersey with banners and crosses and singing songs and people in the frat houses would just kind of sit on their front porches and drink beer and throw beer cans at us and laugh. But we did this thing. And then we'd end up doing a big assembly in in the big multi-purpose room there. And 
we invited the school newspaper to come out, and they came and did a big old article on it. And in, the article was very fair, and the guy who wrote it said you know, that he was amazed because we did what the whole university seemed to be unable to do, which was to bring together in unity all of these people from all of these different backgrounds. And, and the article, you know, whatever else we were trying to say, that was the one thing that amazed this author of the student newspaper, was that there was this unity that was on full display that was impossible, but it was possible when believers said, yeah, we have differences, yeah, we have uh, issues, yeah, we have things that are real tensions, but we're coming together in our love for Jesus and his gospel and his kingdom. I'm praying that we would do that in this moment, in this season, and that we, we would lean into this time to learn all we can through it. And I think one of the things that we need to discover is how to prioritize being one, being united, and standing in that unity the way Jesus prayed for. So I'd like us to take a moment and pray together now. And while we pray, uh, let's ask the Holy Spirit to move and bring whatever measure of conviction might be needed. Because maybe some is needed in this moment. And let's pray as believers should that God would bring victory in all of the areas right now where there's tension and struggle around us. Let's stand and pray together. So if you're at home and you're kind of just kicking back on the couch and also playing a video game on your other device or whatever, put that aside for a moment. Kind of sit up in, in this moment. Engage spiritually right now. If, if we were at the gym together and you were slouching, I'd come behind you and grab hold of your shoulders and say, come on, come on. And let's spiritually do that. Let's spiritually be alert right now. And so take a couple of deep breaths, get some oxygen in you because you're going to lean into the presence of God for a moment. Just nice deep breath. And just begin in this moment to acknowledge the presence of God. He's never left you, but you, you need to clue back in to the fact that you know he's right there. And just take a deep breath and just simply say, God, I know you're here. <laughs> God, I know you're here, and I know that you love me. Just say that. Just affirm that simple truth. God, thank you for loving me. Just say it right where you're sitting, right where you are. You could even stand up and just say, God, thank you for loving me. Just say, God, thank you for loving me. And once again in this moment, would you just simply say, God, thank you for saving me. If you're a Christian, this is always right and good to remind yourself of how good it is that God saved you. And just say it to him right now. God, thank you for saving me, for washing away my sin and shame and guilt, giving me the hope of heaven. Just say it again. God, thank you for saving me. Let your voice be heard. Don't let me do all the talking here. Just say it. God, thank you for saving me. God, thank you for loving me and saving me. Thank you for giving me hope. Just thank him for a few things right now. Right where you are, just thank him for four or five things. Just do it. God, thank you for giving provision into my life. God, thank you for putting people around me that love me and are friends to me. God, thank you for allowing me to be able to pay the bills this month. Just thank him for four or five things. Do it right now. Don't stop. Don't stop. 
God, thank you for giving your word to me and filling my spirit with your life-giving word. God, thank you for shining the light of heaven into my life so I could see clearly. God, thank you for speaking to me. God, thank you for guiding me in my life. Come on, thank him for five or six more things right now. Just don't stop. God, thank you for showing me your ways. God, thank you for letting me dream again. God, thank you for showing me visions. God, thank you for giving me insight about your ways. Just thank him right now. And just say the words, God, thank you. God, thank you. God, thank you. Ah, thank you, Lord. God, in this moment, I pray for revelation to come, whether it's in the form of a word of knowledge, either for me or any one of us who's part of this experience uh, at home or anywhere else right now. God, I pray that you would allow a, a word of knowledge to come, a sudden awareness of something that we just couldn't have known uh, or come up with otherwise. I pray for some of us even right in this very moment to receive a vision, a picture suddenly deposited into our spirit that's full of meaning from our Father in heaven. God, would you do it right now? Now, while we're praying together, pay attention. Did you hear something? Did you sense God showing you something? Take a mental snapshot of that. Don't forget it. These, these moments are made in heaven, and brought into earth for your good. So God, thank you for your, your words that you're speaking to somebody right now, or your visions that you're showing to somebody right now. I have a vision right now of, a, of, a, of an older gentleman with a broken leg. Uh, and it's, it's like there's a cast on the leg and it feels like it's gonna be there forever. Like it's gonna, your leg's gonna stay immobile forever. But I believe that God is showing me this picture because he wants to bring freedom and mobility back to that leg. And so I break off the cast right now in Jesus' name. That, that thing which has kept your leg from moving the way it should in Jesus' name. Right now I declare that the blood of Jesus is more than enough to set you free so that you can be healed. You can be healed. And I want, if that's you and you sense the Spirit of God healing you and you have a testimony of that, I want you to write it in the comments and let us know or email to amen at mycenterpoint.tv and say, God did it. What else, Holy Spirit, do you have? What else do you have in this moment for us, Holy Spirit? What else do you have in this moment, Holy Spirit? Hmm. I just saw this vision of a, of a cave. And right when I looked, I saw a flock of birds just bolting out of the cave, just flying out of the cave and into like the fresh air. And, and there was such a, such a sense of freedom. And it was, here's the message that I think accompanies that picture. You don't have to stay in the dark. You're free to fly. You're free to spread your wings. And you're not alone. There's a whole flock flying together <laughs> out of the darkness, out of that dank, dark place. And you are made for that freedom of flying into the light of God's love and mercy. Rise up, like right now, rise up and just decide, I'm not living that way anymore. I'm not staying in that cave anymore. I'm not staying in that darkness anymore. I'm not staying under that rock anymore. I'm free, in Jesus' name, I'm free and flying. Hallelujah. Glory to God, glory to God. This is what we do, family. We lean into the presence of God and we experience his glory showing up in, in words of knowledge, in visions. Yeah. Someone else, you might have just received a, a, a word of knowledge. You suddenly became aware of something going on 
and you're wondering, what do I do with that? You respond. If you know the person, maybe you reach out and say, hey, I, I got a sense that, and then kind of share that word, saying, I think, I think what it means is, and, and it should always kind of boil down to love, right? And maybe somebody, it's time for you to go out on a limb and do that. There's somebody right now that needs to know that God's love is personal and right here, right now. And you received a little impulse in your spirit, a word of knowledge of some kind. It's time to act on it and deliver it. So I bless you to do that. I commission you to do that in Jesus' name. So let's continue to worship in this time. And if you have just given your life to Jesus during this time while we've been uh, sharing the scriptures, I want you to text the word Jesus to 951-397-2254. As we want to help you walk in this faith in Jesus uh, in community. And, and you're meant to be with the family of God. So text Jesus to one 951 397-2254.